Texas. Welcome to the Michael Myers Minute. Where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one terrifying minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. We begin minute 13 mid-sentence, and we begin it with a guest, Andy Nelson from Next Real Film Podcast. Welcome, Andy. Hey, how are you? Doing good. Uh, now, I want to get to some more general stuff about you and horror films and Halloween in a moment. Sure. Uh, as you're my first guest. But you'll see the segue will be amazing <laughs> later. Ah. Uh, first, let's start with a minute at hand. Uh, minute 13 begins with Morgan Strode. Laurie's father has just come out of the Strode house and is calling after Laurie as she walks away. He is played by Peter Griffith. Yeah, Peter Griffith. He's... um. Uh, he was married to uh, Tippy Hedren. Oh, is he Melanie Griffith's father? One of the, uh, I think, four or five wives. Yeah, he's Melanie oh. Griffith's father, exactly. So uh, yeah. um, so they had, uh, uh, although by this time he had, he was divorced um, with his second wife and he had not yet remarried. So, um, but yeah, uh, Melanie Griffith's dad, which I didn't, I don't know if I ever realized that her dad also acted, although Technically, I guess that's a really loose term since there's hardly any uh, stuff that he had actually been in other than this. And I think there was a TV show that he was in um, very briefly. Yeah, he did it. Here it is. He did a TV show in the 50s, um, early 50s when he was 18, a TV series called The Aldrich Family, where he met his first wife, 21-year-old Tippi Hedren. So. so it's another connection back to Hitchcock from this movie because Jamie Lee Curtis is mother was in psycho oh there it is yeah and several characters are named after characters from psycho very interesting yeah john carpenter clearly uh is a is a fan of the genre and yeah definitely uses that as he's um creating his content he also i talk about this i think in a later minute more he names a lot of characters after characters from other things and people he knows so like in the fog there's a character named dan o'bannon who he worked with on dark star and they went to usc together and isn't there a character in, is it the fog that also has a character nick castle yes so yeah named after nick castle who's in this yeah there's another one yeah <laughs> i wonder if they do the same thing and there's a john carpenter in their movies i don't know if i've ever heard a john carpenter character his name is so maybe a carpenter yeah a carpenter there you go john the carpenter one of the halloween <laughs> comics i think has a dr carpenter at the sanitarium oh nice now d when did the comics come out the chaos comics came out chaos is the publisher uh around 2000 it was after halloween 6 and then i think they came out about the same time that h20 came out because they directly tie into the plot of h20 and make an effort to connect ah, okay. the new timeline with the old one but then part of what's in them gets contradicted when resurrection comes out <laughs> as the sequel to age 20 and then there was a later comic called night dance which doesn't connect directly to much of the movies it's more tangential interesting it was more of a comic series it wasn't like adaptations of the films no it wasn't there's scenes from the films in there but it was a new story gotcha interesting i've never picked up the comics about actually it's about tommy doyle the little boy that laurie babysits right. He's a main character in Halloween 6. Oh. You said you hadn't seen that one. I haven't, right. But he's the main character. He's like a grown-up. And so he's the main character of the Chaos Comics Halloween series. Oh, okay. And it's, it ties in the gap of time between that and H20. Very cool. Do they have the same actor come back? Because we, we get to meet Tommy in this 
in this minute here. No, no. Uh, Brian Andrews, I believe, went on to be a police officer. Oh. The one who plays Tommy here. And Paul Rudd played oh. in the Hollywood How funny. Six. I believe it's Paul Rudd's first film, or his first big wow. film. Wow. The Ant-Man himself. There it is. So so Brian Andrews, I, well, I'm jumping ahead in the minute. That's okay. He had, so he had acted for a, a while, uh, I guess kind of a kid actor. And then I guess it was probably once he was done with that, that he must have become the cop then. Because he was, it looks like he acted all the way through 1987's Three O'Clock High before he kind of left acting until recently. Yeah. And you said 87. So he yeah. would have been, yeah, that'd be, be around 18. Yeah. So I guess he acted until he was an adult. Huh. And then he's probably very uh, popular on the uh, convention circuit now. I don't know if he goes to many because maybe as a cop he's been busy, but he was definitely at the one. There's a documentary where they show Jamie Lee Curtis went to one a while back and he was at that one. Gotcha. Because it was a big event because she doesn't go to them very often. I see. Well, he certainly seems to, uh, if you look him up online, he certainly seems to be happy to take photos um, if you come up to him, because there's a lot of pictures of him with uh, with Michael Myers. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of the people from this seem really nice yes. when yes. it comes to that. Well, it's one of those films where it's like, you know, it's got that indie vibe. And I know Carpenter had kind of been uh, at it already for a little while, but it still feels like he was working kind of that low budget world. And yeah. I think a lot of people who were in those early films that ended up kind of um, making it big, well, the film made it big. I mean, they're just kind of happy to have been a part of it. And so, yeah, I, I would be completely thrilled to just, uh, you know, still talk with people. But yeah, the cast and crew were working out of a Winnebago <laughs> as like their home office. And they got together and cleaned up the Myers house for the opening scene as the last thing they filmed. Like they painted it, they put the furniture in there, got all together and had a good time. So funny. Before we get to the, even anything happening, just a reminder, I think I mentioned this last minute, but we are on Oak Street in Haddonfield, Illinois, fictional, but on Oxley Street in South Pasadena, California, right across the street from the public library. Oh. That's where they're filming. Now, this is a good moment to look at fall in Pasadena versus <laughs> fall in yes. Illinois. I, I was torn looking at this, uh, the start of this shot. If these are um, just, you know, natural leaves that had fallen from the trees that they just decided no, not to clean up no. to give it more of an autumnal look, or if they actually spread them out a little bit. They are not only <laughs> fake leaves, they're fake leaves that they painted brown. <laughs> then they would drop them on the ground for a scene, film, put them in a bunch of trash bags and take them to the next place they needed them. That is awesome. Yeah. I believe there's one scene in the movie where you can actually see brown trees, but those brown leaves are all over the place. Well, uh, there's not a ton of them. Like they didn't do a, a great job of no. getting them scattered. Now, granted, I mean, we're looking at some fairly wide shots here. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Some of the shots, it works great. But like when Lori gets picked up by Annie later, she walks past a bunch of leaves on the ground and sits down next yard over has no leaves. <laughs> Like you can, you can see a line where maybe they didn't think it was going to be in the shot. And so they just didn't put any over there. You know, they do a really good job though. Well, at least in this first minute, they do a good job of not showing palm trees. Like they found a good stretch here because, you know, you're, you're in LA, I'm in Phoenix. We have palm trees everywhere. Yeah. And I think I only catch one glimpse of a palm tree, but not in this minute. I think this minute actually is pretty solid with uh, kind of a palm tree list. Actually, this minute is where I noted the palm trees. This minute is. Yeah. 
This minute. Oh, way in second, the back. Way, way in the back. Second okay. 42 when Tommy walks up. Right. Yep. I see him now. Yep. I was looking close at all the tree trunks because there's one like right in front of the Michael Myers house. I actually didn't notice that one. <laughs> Which we'll see in the next minute. Yeah, they do a good job of staying away from like being close to a palm tree. So but they show up in the background. Yeah. Now, did you know that her dad's car was Carpenter's car? I didn't like, know that, that until I heard John it in Carpenter's the commentary track. Old but, car. Yeah. yeah. It was his... Was it some... Yeah, just a real... But man, it goes to uh, show what was popular in the late 70s. That is like one dark brown big car. <laughs> it is a Cadillac Fleetwood. There it is. Yes, that belonged to John Carpenter. The one one car for sure that is didn't belong to anyone was the station wagon that they used. They rented it and didn't even tell the rental agency they were using it for a movie. Uh-huh. Even though they installed the gate inside it to divide the first row from the second and put a seal on the door, but they didn't tell anyone. <laughs> i guess as long as you're returning it with all that stuff out of it right yeah as long as you don't damage it with that stuff yeah <laughs> as far as the um the locations here so you know you you pointed out where the house was that uh, Lori lived yeah this is eleven fifteen oxley street how well did they map out like her path like because you know in film you can <laughs> like very. one street can be completely not connected to the other but the magic of the movies makes it look like they're connected so when we cut to the next shot of her kind of walking across the street this is a totally different spot it is well she walks east on oxley that's the street she comes out on Mm -hmm. and she turns south on diamond avenue and now three seconds later she is it's like half a mile north going the opposite direction west Uh and for listeners who have listened to minute one where she comes around the corner is Magnolia Street, which is right where that tree that my sisters and I were talking about that always made us think that Michael Myers was standing there behind a tree. <laughs> it's right around that corner. Ah, uh, fun memories as a kid. Yes. And my sister's in-laws lived in that house right there. So we saw that tree all the time. And we're little kids who watched Halloween. This tree looked like a shoulder of a person standing behind it. Like the trunk was just misshapen. And especially at night, it's like you didn't even want to walk in that yard. This is the one right on the corner with kind of the the angled sidewalk going up to it? It's it's actually like the third house in. It's where I stood when they filmed a scene for Halloween 2. But I'll get to that when I get to Halloween 2 in many weeks. Very cool. So When I was five years old. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't imagine watching these. <laughs> I can't imagine showing either of my kids who are 7 and 11 this movie. I think they'd have nightmares for weeks. I know my son would. Oh, I'm sure I had nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> but then when we'd rent other horror films, I'd be like, yeah, I want to watch it. It's funny. Kids can sometimes take it. Like my son sat with me. And again, he's seven. He sat next to me and watched Winchester, which is the recent film with um, uh, kind of the haunted house one about that crazy house in California that the lady kept building and building. And he, he had no problems with that. And I'm like, why are you, this is a haunted house. Why are you fine with this? But you know, it, it, sometimes it's just, it's what, you don't know what it is that's going to kind of spook a kid. Yeah, it'll be certain kinds of movies. Like it, at that age, the things that bothered me were stuff about like nuclear war. Yeah. Because, you know, it was the end of the Cold War. Horror films like this, they bother me in a different mm-hmm. way. You must have loved, what was it, The Day After? Yes, The Day After. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Myers house is five and a half blocks from Laurie's house. In reality, not in Haddonfield. And she's on her way to school, but she's taking an alternate yeah. route. As, well, I guess we'll find that out yeah. soon. But uh, but yeah, so this is not her normal route to school. No. But this this is kind of a big moment, though, because we're 
this is, you know, kind of the minute where we really start to get to know um, Lori, yes. which, you know, I mean, I know you kind of met her in the last minute, but this is really it. And it's interesting, I was watching this and I didn't realize how we don't really get like a good shot of her, like kind of that establishing protagonist shot at any point in... No, we're looking at her from far away when she comes yeah. out of the house. Yeah, and then we kind of follow her. She, We see her, I mean, we're kind she of walks. assuming that she's going to be a, a, a protagonist because we're following her. Right. But she goes, you know, across the street and everything. And, and we don't really get to spend much time with her until after she's kind of hooked up with Tommy. Yeah, even the first scene, she walks away from us. Yeah. You know, she comes out of the house and walks past us in a way. But then we're with her on another street. We assume she's the lead. Yeah, right. Although she hasn't done much yet. No, she hasn't other than walk away. I have, a, I have a note here from the novelization. As she's walking to the Myers house, she is thinking about Judith's murder. Because, like, she knows about th- that that happened in this house. And uh, the potential buyers that she's dropping off the keys for are a couple from New York who, what's the quote? They thought the idea of a haunted house was charming and something they could boast about. Ooh. So a couple from New York are coming to buy the house. Sounds like the, the first season of American... Uh, yeah, American Horror Story, yeah. Yeah, American Horror Story, right. And maybe if she hadn't walked by the house, they would have shown up and they would have gotten killed. Yeah, but. it's interesting. Uh, well, I guess we'll talk about that in, in future minutes. Um, kind of the, that kind of this is really these this next kind of chunk of minutes is really where we kind of where everybody kind of comes together. And it's it's uh, it's nice to see how all of these yeah. threads all of a sudden come crashing together so quickly. Especially when you look at this movie by itself, like without the sequels, like the second one where she's his sister now. Yeah, right. And stuff like that. The only reason he has to go after her is because she steps on his porch yeah which i find so interesting that that's it that's the only thing that really kind of connects her to him so interesting now we get some uh, we get a nice little dose of uh carpenter music also in this minute which is nice yeah he's a he's one of those great auteurs who i think you know i mean his music is uh, i i had an issue with his music for the longest time and then i um, just I, I went through all of his films and I watched all of them and I kind of really kind of started falling for just kind of the simplicity of his music. And then I saw his concert when he came through here. I was at that two years ago now. And, I, you know, there's something about it that I think that he just he really was able to tap into something with the score for this film in particular that yeah. um, gives it such a sense of presence. And it's very simple. But you know, and I heard that when they first cut this film together, they did a, a test screening without the music that because he hadn't finished it or something, or it was different music. I'm not exactly sure. And audiences were bored. They thought it was just horrible. And he came up with the music because he was trying to find something that would help. Yeah alleviate that kind of his fear of an audience being bored in his movie and yeah and it really clicked i mean it's it's just such an iconic score now and there's a stretch of movie here for like 30 minutes where very little happens if you're looking for a horror film or a slasher film this kind of predates most slasher films but if you're looking for that yeah you're gonna get bored if the music doesn't draw you in or the characters don't draw you in yeah right so we meet tommy here we get to see the two of them come together. And yeah. I couldn't help but think how funny it was. And I don't know if it was just the young actor or if it was the way that Carpenter directed it. But I swear that this kid, like he calls her name and comes running before she's even had a chance to come around the corner of the house for him to re- actually see her. Pretty close to it, yeah. Like he is on it and he's like, running. I think maybe he could see her <laughs> at an angle and there's no one else outside. Yeah. So maybe it drew his attention. But yeah, he does kind of lead I with guess. his voice before he's even in the shot yeah 
But it establishes the relationship nicely. You know, the babysitter, babysitty, I guess you'd yeah. call him, uh, relationship that I think works nicely here. And I actually think that the barren nature of the street, you know, I, I don't know how busy these streets are really in Pasadena, but they did a great job of keeping it like any cars that are out there are really far away. Yeah. You know, there's just nothing happening here. Yeah, yeah you don't have many extras in the movie until they wanted them. Right. Like the trick-or-treaters, and there's hardly any adults in the movie at all. Yeah, right. The busiest we get is when they're by the hardware store. No, I, I think the carpenter did a good job. And they also picked a good, uh, you know... I, obviously, I don't know when, what days they shot it or how they, well they planned it, but I mean, they have that great kind of overcast look. And even if they don't have that many leaves on the ground, at least the, the kind of that grayish sky, yeah. at least that kind of helps lend to the feel of that kind of autumn vibe that they're going Which for. Which is actually unusual because it was May. In California, it'd be like bright. Oh, was it really? I mean, maybe they just got lucky or... Wow. They the right filters on, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't look filtered though because no. you don't see shadows on the ground really. Like it looks like it's just yeah. overcast. I think the one the only scene where we really get sunlight is And I wonder how many days they shot. They shot for twenty one days. Now do you know how many of those were day shooting versus night shooting? Uh not exactly, but I think it would have been about half and half. Or maybe a little bit more night. Yeah, I would think it would be a little more night. But I guess once, you, once you're once you interiors, then you can probably fake that pretty well. Well, they were filming in real houses, though. So then you got to block out the windows. Yeah. I mean, they could do that. Yeah. Well, it is a, uh, it's a very sparse minute. But I think that it, it just, you know, I don't know. There's Jamie Lee Curtis has a presence. And I know she wasn't Carpenter's first choice. In fact, I, I think that it, gosh, what was it? It was like the, the, the daughter of the lady who is in Lassie, I think. Yeah. That Carpenter wanted another, and then there was, and there was some other girl who he didn't even know her name later in commentary tracks. He saw some girl on a TV show and was like, "She'd be good." Well, it's just yeah, they ended up with yeah. I mean, casting Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, was just such a great move. I mean, she just has that presence, and I mean, a lot of people come from famous families, famous acting families, who don't necessarily have the acting chops. Yeah, but I think that she really just carries it, and. Like we were saying, I mean, you don't have a great sense of connection to her as the protagonist from the shots, the way that he shot it. You know, she's never very close to the camera. She's just kind of walking away from us through this whole thing. Yeah, for this walk. But there's still enough of a presence with her where you still feel like, you know, drawn to her as your as somebody of interest. This scene was also the first day of shooting, according to Jamie Lee Curtis in the commentary. Oh, interesting. It was her and, and Brian Andrews walking down Meridian. Oh, right, because they had to shoot the house out, right? Didn't they have to shoot all well, all of the stuff with the Myers house? Because then they had to um, clean well, it they up. They cleaned it up. on. That was for the last like day of shooting when they filmed the opening sequence where the house looks right, right, right. Nice. Back in the 60s. How old is Michael Myers supposed to be now? Because he was, this is 15 years He's later. He's credited at 23, but they specifically say he was six, so he should be 21. Interesting. He is a beefy 21-year-old. <laughs> Especially for just sitting around in a sanitarium every day, as the movie presents it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Looking in, from, in my notes for when she, she asked Tommy if he ever thought of killing someone, and I can't. Oh, it's next minute. Okay, I'll get to it then. <laughs> yeah, this one we don't really get a whole lot other than them coming together, and then he asks a million questions about: Can yeah. we do this? Can we make Jack Lantern? Jack Lantern? Can we? Uh... Can you read to me? Make popcorn. 
And that's that's also interesting because we're, again, we're just looking at the back of her head through that whole thing. It's really like we're focusing on Tommy through that whole inter- interchange, which is also interesting because Michael follows Tommy first later, so it kind of connects them both. And we don't know what's going on here, what Michael is going to do. Yeah, right. Interesting. It's a nice setup. Yeah, it is, and it also kind of goes to because I think it was carpenter who when the movie came out i feel like a lot of critics had talked about it being you know this the whole thing about you know the virgin survives those who weren't you know who were screwing around they're the ones who get killed but that i think also lends to it that you know he's it's not necessarily about you know virginal it's just kind of you know youthfulness or something that that he's following like he sees tommy and he follows him too and Carpenter's specific thing for this movie is that he doesn't say it's because she's a virgin. It's because it's more about she was paying attention just by like dint of yeah. being busy babysitting and taking care of a kid. She noticed things. Right. While Linda and Annie are too distracted. Yeah. Later slasher films would reinforce the idea that, yes, yeah. if you sin, if you have sex, if you do drugs, you're going to die. But Laurie even smokes a joint later. Yeah, it seems like that whole that whole idea of that was born from this film, but it it never really seemed like right. it was actually from this film. Like this film didn't seem to go to that length. But you look at the Friday the Thirteenth series, or or like you said, the later Halloween films. That is kind of the crux of the whole thing. Yeah, it's like you you know screw around, and even I mean even going all the way up to the modern films, like it follows and stuff. Yeah, that's the it's, point. It's a huge thing in the horror genre. Yeah, but the first Halloween doesn't have it that much. But then you get Friday the 13th, plays that up. And by the time you get to Halloween 2, I think you've already had Friday the 13th Part 2. You've had a bunch of other copycat slasher films. It's a thing by the time they make Halloween 2. And so they have to include it. But here, yeah, even though it's born here, as you said, it's not necessarily happening here. Huh, really interesting. Do we know what grade Lori's in? The movie doesn't say, but she is supposed to be 17. Okay, so... So like a junior. Kind of that junior-senior range. Because she's got a few books, but she's not carrying a whole lot of stuff to school. No. (laughs) Not too much. She carries more home, I think. Yeah. Yeah, she's supposed to be 17. I heard a thing talking about this movie today, or more about the second one, and how old she would have been when Michael killed his big sister and they're like did his parents have another kid after that like no she would have been a toddler possibly even in the house at the time but that's part of the larger story from the later movies huh in this one she's just laurie strode right right well i'll have to uh, because you said it's the second one where that fact comes out right that she's a sister yeah yeah does that stay um canon it not forever um that stays through six and then when they bring jamie lee curtis back because Four establishes that she died in like a car accident. And so the main character of the fourth one is her daughter, who has also been adopted. And when Michael finds out she's alive, he comes to try to kill her. Mm. But when they got Jamie Lee Curtis back for age 20, they just ignored those and said she'd been hiding under a different name since 1978. Oh, okay. I couldn't remember that from H2O. I don't think I'd seen that since it was in theaters. I think I've only seen it twice. I saw it in the theater and then I watched it for my blog. Ah, uh. Gotcha. Because I watched all of them again. I did a month of slasher films. That's fun. Oh, yeah. So at the end of this minute, we have Tommy's questions, as you said. The last one, can we make popcorn? Laurie says, sure, sure, sure. And the minute ends. Laurie and Tommy are still crossing Magnolia, headed south on Meridian in South Pasadena. They're just half a block from the Myers house. Then 
that is all for minute 13, really. Lucky number 13. Unless you have something else on this minute? Nope, that's all I had. Okay, now, Andy, if the listeners want to stalk you, where can they go to do that? Like your home address, <laughs> your regular hangouts, that kind of stuff. All that fun stuff. Uh, they can head over to thenextreel.com. Um, or they can search for the podcast under the next reel on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, all those places. Pinterest? And of course, any podcatcher of your choice. You have a Pinterest. Pinterest yeah, we post movie posters up there. Nice. So yeah, we're all over the place. So uh, yeah, but we uh, we have not covered any of the Halloween films, but um, we have done a number of horror uh, series and films. And so um, if you're interested in horror or uh, just talking uh, long, spoilery conversations about movies, then uh, yeah, I love check us out. Long spoilery conversations about movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly we do too because we've been doing yeah. it for gosh six years now. Wow, six and a half, something like that. I'm only just yeah. starting doing it in this format. I did it on a blog for years. Now this. And now the Movie by Minute podcast. Yeah. There it is. Anyway, the Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk us on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute. Or join our Facebook listeners group, 45 Lampkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you like what you hear. Until next time. See you later.